Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am so excited that today I get to introduce you to Tanya Dalton. Tanya is a best-selling author, speaker, sought-after business coach for women entrepreneurs, and nationally recognized productivity expert. Productivity, what is that? Oh, we're going to dive into it. Tanya serves as a growth strategist for female leaders and entrepreneurs, and her mentorship program, The Intentional CEO, helps female entrepreneurs grow thriving businesses and their personal lives. Ooh, that's an interesting balance. In addition, her book, The Joy of Missing Out, has been named one of the top 10 business books of 2019 by Fortune Magazine. And Tanya also has a podcast, The Intentional Advantage. It's ranked among the top business podcasts on iTunes. I am going to be a guest on this podcast, so I'm an advocate for it in real time. Dave, your ego, keep it in check. Uh, She is a VIP contributor for Entrepreneur, and her work has been featured in the world's leading publications like Forbes, Fortune, Inc., Fast Company, and Real Simple. She was awarded the Elite Enterprising Women Award and was named a female entrepreneur to watch in North Carolina. Let's go. Goodness gracious, Tanya's got a great bio. She is the founder and CEO of Inkwell, a press productivity company and a multi-million dollar company at that. Please welcome to the show, Tanya Dalton. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. I follow that up, right? You don't, Tanya. That's the end of the episode. <laughs> we're we're done. We're done. Conversation. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're going to have a lot of fun. You were, and it's very rare that I actually end up getting this as a text from someone who I respect and love so much in John Acuff. He said, hey, I just had this amazing conversation with Tanya. I think she'd be an amazing person for your show. Coming from John, frankly, I'll do anything that man tells me, but uh, I just appreciate that your work, your life, yourself comes so highly recommended. 
I have attempted in uh, reading your bio to give you a bit of an introduction, but I like to give guests a chance to introduce themselves. And the thing I would ask is, what do you tell people you do and why do you believe that you're here? Yeah. So when people ask me what I do, I say that I help women step confidently into intentional leadership. So I give them the tools and the training to be able to really do that. Uh, Really, I'm on a mission to redefine productivity. I feel like productivity is one of those shiny objects that people want to chase after. And it's a lot of chasing busy, checking things off a to-do list that's three miles too long. And I like to say productivity is not about doing more. It's doing what is most important. So I really want people to understand that to be productive, it's really it's really about intentional living. It's really about being mindful about how we live and choosing to live with our priorities front and center every single day. So that's the short version of what I do. I love that. I, it's, it's so interesting because I have spent a lot of time in a deconstruction phase of my life trying to make sense of what matters, and maybe more importantly, like what matters least. I Mm -hmm. obviously, I also have this book that's coming out not long from now, but one of the first things I wrote, which is wild to me when I say it out loud, what I did not know when I wrote that in March was that in May, my marriage would end, the working relationship I had with my ex-wife would end, I would have to cast a new vision for future and a new definition of normal. But so much of that came back to a conversation around what mattered most, what like where my priorities were, what my core values were, my North Star, as I describe in the book, a a lighthouse on the opposite shore. Talk to me just a little bit about how you've approached defining kind of what matters most. And in this crazy, chaotic last couple of years worth of time, are there things in your normal that you are now considering in a different kind of way. Yeah, well, what is normal, first of all, right? (laughs) But, you know, I love what you said there because I think so often we don't know what to throw overboard until our boat is sinking, right? And it's in emergency situations where suddenly we're like, oh, don't need this, don't need that, not so important. And that is one of the, if we're gonna look at, you know, the last couple of years, I know you've obviously been through the ringer, lots of shifts and changes in your life, But for a lot of people through the pandemic, if we want to look for the silver lining, it's that it's become so much more clear what is truly important to us. And that's that's the thing that I was noticing when it was time to sit down and write this second book of mine. I was noticing that people were asking this question, like, what have I been doing with my life? Like, what what is it that I'm really doing for my job or my career? How am I spending my time? Or is this really what it's all about? And I think that's exactly what we need to be asking ourselves when it's not an emergency, right? What is really most important to us? And it really is when it boils down to it, priorities are not 5,000 different things. If we're treating everything as equal, nothing is a priority. We're treating every single thing that we have to do, whether it's going to pick up the dry cleaning or coming up with the marketing budget or picking up our kids from school or any of those things, we're putting them all at the same level and they're not. We have to prioritize our priorities. And I think that's really hard for people to do because they say, well, how do you prioritize when everything's a priority? And it is asking yourself these questions. If I only had, and you asked this question in your book, you know, you talk about how Steve Jobs had that practice of saying, if this is the last day of my life, am I going to be happy with how I lived it? And it is asking ourselves those questions. It's stopping 
stepping back and really giving ourselves an intentional pause and asking, am I happy? And I think happiness is one of those really soft things, or we we perceive it as being soft. Like we're like, oh, happiness is overrated. I'll be happy when I achieve this, yeah. or when I get to this level of revenue, or someday this magical moment where the clouds part, rainbow shoot out of the sky, and then I'll be happy, right? And it's like, no, no, let's be happy now. Every goal, every dream, every aspiration we have is steeped in happiness. If you really ask yourself what it is you want, it's happiness. You want to run a marathon? Why? So you can be happy when you cross the finish line. You want to lose 10 pounds? Why? So you can be happy wearing your pants, right? If you want to get a you know, promotion at work, why? Because you want to have more income. You can feel happier being able to do the things you want to do. All of it is steeped in happiness. So really getting down to the heart of how do I want to feel, I think is a really important question to ask ourselves on a regular basis. Yeah, it's so that's, good. That's I, where our priorities are. No, I love it. Like one of the most important questions I have asked over and over in the last two years and even beyond is how do I feel about myself when I'm by myself? And the answer mm-hmm. often comes back to the way that I have maintained integrity to the things that are most important in my life. If I have, mm-hmm. I feel great about myself when I've deviated or veered off course. I have shame. I have regret. I have self-loathing or don't feel so confident and lacking motivation. So um, integrity to our core values and the way that we've lived into the things that we say we stand for ends up being such an important thing every day. I want to I want to step back before we come to what has just come out. I mean, like this is launch week for you. So uh, congratulations as a human about to experience a launch week. You're in the midst of it right now. But before we talk about On Purpose, which is the book that's just come out here in October, I want to go back and just acknowledge how crazy and amazing it is that you wrote something that was such a difference from the way I think most of us experience life in that uh, FOMO, very much a thing that people can Mm -hmm. identify with, this idea of the fear of missing out, so much of what we're motivated by, making sure that we're not on the outside of something that's cool or that all of our friends are up to. You wrote JOMO. I don't know if you actually use that, but I hope you did. Um, Oh, I do. I do. You do? Yeah. (laughs) The Joy of Missing Out. So your last book in 2019 was uh, The Joy of Missing Out, Live More by Doing Less. I mean, man, if there isn't intention required in actually deciding how you can make the most of what you do by doing only the things that are important, but also like really appreciating Mm -hmm. that less can be more. Talk to us just a little bit about what was inspiring the work and how it was received by what has to be something of a counter-cultural message. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely counterculture. And even with this book, I think the first line of the book is, you know, this book is not designed to help you fit in with the status quo. Like, let's stop cramming ourselves inside those tiny little boxes that society creates for us. Like, let's choose to step into what we really want. And when we're aligned, when we can go to bed at night and feel really good about the work we've done, when it aligns with who we are, that is incredibly powerful. For me, it really comes down to the fact that when I talk to people all the time, I'm like, you know, how's work? How's your business? How's your life? How are the kids? How are the family? Overwhelmed, overwhelmed, overwhelmed. That's the word that we hear all the time. Or busy. And I think this is the thing is we're chasing busy, like there's some sort of happiness attached to it. And we run around chasing down a to-do list that's three miles too long. We check a thousand things off. And then we crawl into bed at night and our head hits the pillow 
and we think to ourselves, oh, why didn't I get more done? Like, why didn't I do more, right? Like, I'm not good enough. Well, this is the thing is we're running around doing all these things. Why aren't we satisfied by them? And the truth is, it's because we're doing all the wrong things. We're doing all the things that we think we're supposed to do or that we should do or that society tells us that we should be doing. We look around and we go, oh, we should do these things because these people are doing it, right? And really what it is, is choosing to focus in, choosing to live with intention. It's like, if we, I were to say to you, take 50 steps in 50 different directions, where would you end up? I mean, maybe the same spot, maybe, maybe further behind right? But if you chose instead to take five steps, only five compared to 50, but five steps in a forward motion, where would you end up? Closer to where you want to go. And when we live our lives aligned, doing fewer things that matter more to us, that's when we go to bed at night and our head hits the pillow and we go, today was amazing. I am amazing. This was an incredible day. And the funny thing is, when I ask people, like, when is the last time? And this is a good question for your listeners. Like, when was the last time that you went to bed at night and thought today was amazing? Because if it's been more than a day or two, it's too long. Most people will say it was when I was on vacation. What were you doing on vacation? You were doing less and you were probably focused in on your family, right? One of your priorities. And that felt really satisfying. I truly believe there's happiness in every little crack and crevice in our everyday lives, but we're so busy being busy that we miss it. And so it's actively choosing to miss out on doing all the things and doing less. That's that's how we find more happiness in our days. Yeah, I, well, it's, it's wild because I've been trying to unlearn some of my programming as a kid. I'm a, an achiever. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. A, a three on the old Enneagram. I, I am someone who, uh, and, and I don't think it was intentional necessarily by the people who were raising me to have me believe that by achieving things, I might feel good or worthy or enough, or mm-hmm. that my lovability in some ways was contingent on uh, memorizing enough Bible verses or getting enough goals in a soccer game or being the valedictorian of high school. And yet I found myself driven to do those things to earn my worth to earn my love. And um, what I'm trying to unlearn is that, hey, I am uh, worthy enough, lovable in real time before I've done a single thing. I was asked just yesterday in a podcast, like, what's the thing you would hope to leave to your kids? Man, I hope my kids know before they achieve a single thing on this planet that they are good and worthy and enough before they start. Because uh, as much as I think I intellectually know that or intuitively know it, there's something on the subconscious side that just hasn't necessarily always aligned. And I think part of the danger of hustle culture, the way that we end up feeling like we're going to miss out if we don't do all the things or stay busy for the sake of being busy, weirdly is connected to how we think we have to hustle for our worth. And I don't know if that's a thing that resonates with you, but certainly it's a thing that's resonated with me. Oh, yeah, it is unlearning your programming. Yeah. I mean, the whole culture that we live in today is hustle, grind, repeat. If you're not hustling, you're dying. If you're not hustling in your business and your business isn't going to grow, right? And we're told even as children, you know, winners never quit, quitters never win. So we, we feel like we can't stop doing the things that we're doing and we're rewarded for all this hard work. And we think that when we work hard, then we can be loved. So I don't feel like you're alone in that at all. I think that we're all striving for lovability, worthiness, and and those those type of accolades. 
We look all around us for the external validation that we are okay. And the truth is, you're already okay. You are wonderfully, beautifully made. Every single one of us has a much bigger purpose and a calling, and it's not your to-do list. It's something so much bigger than that, that you are really designed for more than that. So you just showing up, getting up out of bed, breathing in and out, putting your feet on the floor and doing what you do, you've earned that, that worthiness. You've earned that love. All right, let's, let's turn and talk about this book of yours that's just come out on purpose, The Busy Woman's Guide to an Extraordinary Life of Meaning and Success. Ooh, that's a lot of things in one single statement. Talk to me about what you'd hope for someone to get in reading this book. Oh, I like that question. I think, first of all, the fact that extraordinary is a choice, that they can have an extraordinary life. I think so often we're just living life on repeat, doing the things we're supposed to do, doing the things and living our life and feeling like, well, you know, this is just how life is. And it's not like that at all. Life is an opportunity to be extraordinary. It's just choosing to see that you have choices. It's really choosing to see. And that's that's really what I hope people get out of this book. When, when I sat down to write the book, HarperCollins asked me to write a book on goal setting. And that's what I thought I would do. I thought I would write this book on goal setting. I've taught thousands of women how to set and achieve their goals. I thought, no problem. And then, you know, mapped out the whole book. You know how it all goes. You map out the whole book. You give yourself like a writing plan, February, 2020, best laid plans. And then March happens. And all of a sudden, all those plans go out the window because I'm homeschooling children, running a business, filing PPP paperwork and all those things, right? So the book got put on hold and I got put on hold and I got put on hold. And I think what's amazing is this. The book that I would have sat down to write if March of 2020 hadn't happened would have been a book about goal setting. And I think it would have been a good book. But what ended up happening is I began to really watch what these, you know, what the world was going through, what everybody was asking themselves. And I began to realize goals are not the goal. Goals are not the goal. They're the vehicle to get us to the extraordinary life. They are a part of how we get there, but they're not the end all be all that we treat them as. We treat goals as this like milestone, this big thing that we accomplish. And then, oh, it's amazing. And that's not true. And we're, we're disappointed when it doesn't work out that way. When we achieve a goal and then suddenly we're like, okay, now what? Was that it? So, you know, for me, that's what I want people to understand. I want them to see that, first of all, that we have the choices out there. Each chapter of the book is about a choice. So first of all, seeing those choices and then actively choosing them, choosing to disrupt our patterns, choosing our identity, choosing to release our fears, choosing to invest in ourselves. That's what I want people to do. And I want to really give them the tools so they feel like they can do it. I never want to write a book and have people close the cover and go, wow, inspirational. That was great. Now what? I want to give them the tools so then they're ready to take action. They're ready to take those steps. That's really what I hope happens out of this book. So good. It's interesting. I uh, am in a relationship with a human. Her name is Heidi. She's amazing in a whole host of ways. But we did couples therapy over the weekend. Uh, but we did something that was like a five-hour- I like how you said that. Couples therapy? Couples therapy <laughs> over the weekend. Yeah, but we we did like a, a very intensive long. It was hours and hours worth of time. Um, 
just like deep dive into why we mm-hmm. feel, what we feel, how we're feeling, finding a, a way in a safe space to represent the things that we were processing. And um, I had as an intention going in, as much as this might even sound crazy in a couple's setting, like the thing that I've been in pursuit of more than anything in my life is an ability to love myself, which is hard in any environment, but certainly harder over the course of the last couple of years. And the thing that came through in this session that I wasn't expecting was this unbelievable correlation between agency and respecting myself and, and, and loving myself. Like when I am in a position where I am taking control of and making the choices, the choices that you're talking about right now in this book, that was a huge connector to the times when I could generate pride, when I could feel good about myself when I was by myself. And so I think there's something beautiful about like, hopefully like drawing people's attention to this reality that of course they have choice, but that in the deployment of agency, taking control of the things you can control, that it might in fact be the vehicle that allows you to experience that deeper feeling of meaning or the deeper feeling of what you might describe as success. I just, I love it so much. I'm curious because you, you're a woman. I am, women. last I checked. I, yes. Yeah, no, you are. Yes. I can last tell. I I'm, checked. Looking, I'm, yes. I'm looking right at you. <laughs> uh, and, and you, you know, like are writing and creating uh, tools largely for women. And I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, you know, like in my own book, I, I have a chapter where I represent this double standard that has existed in my own life where when I was married to Rachel, she got a question that I never got, which was, what will yes. this do to your children? What will this mm-hmm. work or this ambition or following these dreams do to your children? A thing that while I was building a career for 20 years in entertainment and the head of international for a length of time where I was actually overseas all the time. People didn't ask, what's it going to do to your kids? They were like, how rad that you're setting such an amazing model for your children to uh, ultimately also pursue their own dreams or work hard and have their hard work rewarded. And the thing that I had to end up saying was like, oh, you're saying it in the wrong way. Like, what will this do to your children? It's like, what will this do to your children? My kids now get to watch the model of their mother pursue her dreams in a way that doesn't ever have them questioning if a woman can write New York Times bestselling books or fill auditoriums or sit at the head of a table in a boardroom. And my daughter certainly, you know, like doesn't have any cap on what she might believe a woman is capable of because of the way that her mom has modeled for her that anything that she puts her mind to is. What for you was the draw to create resources for women outside of the fact that you are a woman? And is there something in the tool set that you ultimately bring to bear that has to be different because of the differences that might exist in this double standard world that we live inside of? Yeah. Well, here's the thing is I have, I have male readers too. I write for, for women, but a lot of men are like, this applies to me as well. And it absolutely does. Yeah. And I really like lasering in on women. And, and here's the truth. When people ask me, like, can men read the book? I'm like, well, yes, men men can absolutely read the book. I mean, it's allowed, right? So, yes, men can read the book. Men can get a lot out of the book. Here's the truth. For thousands of years, we as women have read books written for men, and we've just twisted it and turned it a little bit to work for us. I'm just asking you to read a book for women and do the same thing. Twist it and turn it a little bit and work for you as a man. Because the truth is, 
most books are written for men from a men's point of view. It's called the, the male gaze, actually, with uh, movies and plays and uh, literature. All of those are written historically from a male standpoint. So it's really nice to write a book where women are the target, that women are being approached and spoken to because the way that we react, the way that we think, and the expectations that you, as you just mentioned, that society puts on us is vastly different. There is a lot of guilt that comes with being a mom and chasing after what we're really passionate about. And we have to ask ourselves sometimes like, ooh, is this worth it? And I always tell women, you know, when we when we chase after what we're passionate about, we're modeling for our daughters what a woman is capable of. And we're modeling for our sons what a woman is capable of. And that is so incredibly powerful. This is how change happens. Because my son, who's in college now, it's crazy to him to think that a woman wouldn't be CEO. Like that's right? just an expectation for him. He has Foregone no conclusion. reason to think. And yeah, it, it doesn't make sense to him to even question that. And I think that's what's what's really exciting is we are right now in a very big period of change where some of those roles are shifting. So when I write for women, I write for how women think. And we do approach a lot of things differently. We want to say that all people are the same and they're not. I think it's this beautiful diversity of the way that we think, the way that we react as men and women. You know, one of the things that we dive into in the book is how hard it is for women to embrace themselves as experts. I talk about this when I talk about choosing how to identify yourself, that there's all these studies that show that if a woman sees a job posting and she doesn't meet 100% of the criteria, she will not apply for the job. A man, on the other hand, will apply if he's got 60% of the criteria. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think, bravo, good for you for going for it. What is it that holds us back as women? We have a really hard time seeing ourselves as experts. And a lot of that comes from playing by the rules. We as women, we as young girls are rewarded for playing by the rules. This is why girls succeed in school, because you need to play by the rules to do well in school. And that's not how the real world works. If you notice, when a girl is overconfident, like a young girl on the playground, someone will tell them that she's bossy, right? Oh, you're being really bossy. No one ever says that to a boy. They say he's overconfident maybe, but they don't call him bossy. But it causes this stigma with a lot of women with that word boss. So we soften it with girl boss or lady boss or mompreneur, things like that, instead of feeling like we can fully embrace that. And that's just one example of how we think differently because of the expectations society has for us. I think that question that Rachel got is a question that I have certainly gotten time and time again. And every high performing woman that I know has that as well. You know, my husband, he works for me. He's my CMO. We work side by side, but technically he works for me. And it's fascinating to watch other other people process that because they'll say, you know, oh, she's putting you in your place. And my husband's like, uh, (laughs) not really. She's made to be a CEO. It's, I mean, what year are we in, right? It's, It's so crazy. And the thing is for my husband is, is he, he doesn't get, ruffled by that. He's just like, this is an opportunity. This is our chance to educate people that the old models, the old way of doing business, the old way of how we lived our lives don't need to apply today. I mean, he's running carpool and making lunches for our kids and and doing all those things. And this is the thing is we can be amazing partners in this beautiful life that we have. 
And so it's really shifting and changing how we view ourselves and how society views us as well. Uh, and we do that through our own actions. No, I love it. And I, I hope that every time you're confronted with someone who's giving you a side look or a, a strange glance as they're processing your husband doing what he's here on this planet for and helping support impact through the work that you might do, that you're uh, softening the sharper edges of their heart every time that you're able to bring them into this century. Goodness gracious. Right. I mean, that's our job is to educate one another, right. To to help show them that this is part of the evolution. Let's, let's, let's soften that a little bit. I love the way you put that. I think of you as a productivity expert. I'm curious if you could maybe give to our listeners some of your best tips on how they might in an interest of being more productive, make themselves so. Mm, yeah, I like this question. I, I say the first thing you do is you throw out your to-do list, which I know people are like, oh, like the record just scratched, right? <laughs> like, wait, hold on. Uh, but here's the thing. Your to-do list takes you everywhere, but where you really want to go. So instead of making a to-do list, which is far too long, it's unorganized. We, we talked about that earlier. We're chasing down our to-dos, right? And our brain loves dopamine. It loves checking those things off the list. So it goes for the easy wins, which is why our brain gets really caught up in the 50 steps instead of the five, right, that we talked about earlier. So instead of doing a to-do list, make a to-do list with intention. So I talk about how to create a priority list. And this is one of the things I talk about in The Joy of Missing Out. But basically, doing a priority list takes the same amount of time, just a little more intentionality as a to-do list, where you really start at the top with the things that are important and urgent. And then you go to the next category, which is important but not really urgent, which is really the area where we're cultivating and investing in ourselves. And then at the bottom are the things that are urgent, but they're not really important. And we start our day at the top and we work our way down. One of the things that we talked about earlier is this idea of overwhelm. And I say overwhelm isn't having too much to do. It's not knowing where to start. When Mm. you have a to-do list, it doesn't tell you where to start. You're just running off of it willy-nilly. A priority list, you start at the top and work your way down. Super, super easy to do. I'm also a really big advocate of, of taking time for reflection at the end of the day. So that's the other thing that I really advocate for is taking five minutes to do a five-minute activity, one minute reviewing what you've done for the day. I think we forget all the good that we've done. A lot of times we make that list and we're like, oh my gosh, I did so many more things than I thought. One minute to check in on your goals, one minute to check in with how you're feeling, one minute to uh, find gratitude for today for that day specifically, and then one minute to get the ideas out of your head onto a piece of paper of what you want to do for tomorrow. So when you go home at the end of the day, when you go to, you close that door to work and head home, you're fully hundred percent present for your friends and your family. I think that's really important. So that's just two really quick. Oh man, what great tips. And that's like very simple stuff that doesn't take a ton of time, but can have a huge impact Uh, I was going to ask, I tend to be someone who has to do the thing that is at the top of my priority list first in my day, then second most important because I tend to have some motivation fatigue. I get less focused as the day goes by. I want to be my best version of me at the beginning of day when I am now focused on the thing that's most important for my day. Have you had a similar kind of experience with priority and how you have to do it first? Or are there other hacks that you've used to getting through multiple important things in a day with the kind of focus that you'd hope for. 
Well, I think time blocking is really important for me. So I sit down and one of the big things that I think is really important is that you process each day as it comes. So treat every day as a brand new gift that we get. I think a lot of people want to sit down on Sunday and they want to map out, this is what I'm doing Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, right? Which sounds good on paper, but Monday goes great. Monday's fabulous. Tuesday, you wake up with maybe a sick kid in your bed or, you know, maybe you have allergies and it's a hot mess and you don't get done on Tuesday what you wanted to get done. Well, then you wake up Wednesday, you're already behind because you have Tuesday and Wednesday to make up for. And same thing happens on Thursday. It becomes this giant snowball, this avalanche. And that's how we really overwhelm ourselves. So sitting down, taking, it really only takes five or 10 minutes to create your priority list for that day. And really thinking about, I believe you start with, how do I want to feel at the end of the day? What do I want to feel like, you know, like on nights where I'm going to my daughter's volleyball games, I want to be fully hundred percent present for her volleyball game. So what do I need to do so yeah. I can be fully present? Don't always say, I want to feel successful because that's really kind of, you know, that's bland. Let's really focus in on how Squishy. do you want to, it is, <laughs> it is. How do I want to feel? What, what, what's really important to me today? And then process that. And that makes a big difference on what you put on that priority list. Put fewer things on that list. Make your list so you can actually achieve it, that it's actually accomplishable. I say no more than five things on your list, ideally. And really focusing in on, on what you want to get done for that day specifically. Tomorrow will be a fresh new day, no matter how today goes. Could be amazing, could be terrible. We all have those days. Yeah. Treat each day yeah. as a new opportunity. And I think that makes a big difference. So good. If people are interested in getting to know you better and why the heck would they not want to, where do you send them on the internet, on social, to follow you and dive deeper into the work that you're doing? I think the best place to find me is tanyadalton.com. You can find links to both my books, The Joy of Missing Out, and On Purpose there. You can also find links to my podcast, The Intentional Advantage. Uh, Online for social media, you can find links to me on Instagram. That's the place where I show up the most. Uh, So yeah, tanyadalton.com is a great hub for all of those things. And it's Tanya with an A. I I don't know that you spell Tanya with an O, but I will tell you, I tried it. It's not you. So uh, Tanya, T-A. T-A-N-Y-A. <laughs> yes, T-A-N-Y-A. That's Tanya Dalton. Uh, all right. We finish each of our conversations every week with a similar question to our guests. If you could leave our audience with a single tip, a single piece of actionable advice, one thing that you would hope for them to have some kind of peace or some kind of breakthrough because of what is that single thing that you would leave with our guests today? I would say just take action. I think so often we think it's the big steps, it's the giant leaps, it's the jumping over the giant chasm that makes a difference. And really it's the small steps, it's the tiny steps, it's the itty bitty steps. So if you heard something today that sparked your interest, maybe it was talking about the the, the priority list instead of the to-do list or that five-minute activity I just talked about, or, or maybe it was something we talked about earlier, I would ask for you to take action. Maybe it's going out and buying the book, but choose something small that you can do today because here's the truth. The small steps add up. We undervalue them, but one small step turns into two small steps, turns into three small steps, turns into one big step, turns into running And that's how we build momentum. Don't feel like you have to wait until you have it figured out. Just choose today to take one small, tiny, itty-bitty action. And I would challenge you to say it has to be done today, which means it can't be too big, right? Because you got to pick it right now 
I'll give you like 15 seconds to pick it and then do it today. Something really tiny. Just do that now. Ah, uh, where I, there's a, there's a line I have in the book. Where does a car get its best gas mileage? It's on the highway. Why? Because it takes less energy to propel a car that is already moving. You are suggesting action so that you might create in that inertia momentum and something that allows you to stay focused or keep going, especially as the unpredictable ends up showing up in your day. Tanya Dalton, you're a good human. I appreciate you. I'm excited that we're now new friends and I'm excited that we're able to bring your voice and this work to our audience. Thank you so much. If you as a listener took anything away from this and how could you not have, I would encourage you to take a picture of the device that you're listening to, share this on social, tag me, tag Tanya, and between now and next week, in Tanya's words, take some action. Let's create a little bit of momentum for where you're headed. I appreciate you being a listener and we'll see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.